When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Jurassic Park. everybody and welcome to this latest edition of Black Hole Cinema. I'm your host this week, Tony Black. Yes, I'm uh, taking the reins for uh, another special episode. This is a Jurassic special. <laughs> Crap dinosaur noise, but there you go. It's the best I've got. It's all I've got in the tank. We're today going to be looking at all four now Jurassic Park slash World films uh, over the last 23 years. Um, with a little bit of news and box office figures in between and indeed a, uh, a brand new section uh, which I'll be doing every time I host called Director's Corner which is going to focus on a specific director um, each time and uh, I will introduce the director a bit later on we'll keep that one as a, uh, as a really exciting surprise but who I will introduce right now are the guests because joining me tonight are two um, of my old chums who are, uh, have been on the podcast before. Firstly, welcome uh, Mr. Luke Asquith. Nice to have you back, sir. Yeah, it's uh, good to be back. Kind of just dropped off the face of the planet, but uh, still around. Uh, not a fossil yet. Not, not, ah, nice, nice tie there. To, uh, <laughs> part. Very good. I've got that on my notes. <laughs> excellent. Not yet set in amber. This is excellent. Um, interesting fact: Luke is actually the first. Was actually the first ever technically the first ever guest on Black Hole Cinema because you were the first one I ever did a, uh, an interview with back in the yeah, day. Yeah, so, back in, way back in the day. Way back in the day, a good year and a half ago. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you have that dubious honour uh, <laughs> <laughs> of being the, uh, the, the main guest. Um, and also joining us tonight is the, uh, the incorrigible, the effervescent, the ever-present Mr. Pete Gaskell. He wasn't here last week, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're also, also pedantic. Let me let me add. Yes, the pedantic yeah, yeah. That's 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 much more appropriate metaphor. But yeah, if, if you had your own cartoon or film, I think you would be called the pedantic Pete Gaskell. Or yes, yeah, wouldn't it? Like you know, yeah. Like the, I think just T.S. Spivey would be the yeah the pedantic Pete Gaskell. I think I think pedantic Pete is it's the best alliterative nickname I've ever had. So I'm happy with that one. You could have a lot worse 
You can do a lot worse, and I dare say you have been uh, over, over the years. Um, over the past week. <laughs> past week, <laughs> more than likely. So, we're going to get straight into it, um, so to speak. And we're going to, like I say, we're talking about four films tonight. Uh, so, we've got no time to spare. And we're going to plow straight on. And uh, we're going to go in order uh, here. So, um, we're going to call back, we're going to look back to um, to a film I think that's very special to all of us. The very original, the first film, Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. Since the beginning of time, man has searched the earth for evidence of its past. But while some have looked for clues to the mystery, one man has found the way to bring the mystery back to life. I own an island off the coast of Costa Rica. And I spent the last five years setting up a kind of biological preserve here on this private island. Science has defined evolution. Where do you get a hundred million year old dinosaur plot? Genetics has mastered creation. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. Jurassic Park, which is my terrible attempt at an Alan Partridge impression. Um, <laughs> I wonder if you're going to get that in there. Yeah, it had to be. It had to be in there. So, if uh, if you happen to have been living. Um, on Vulcan for the last 23 years and you don't know the plot of Jurassic Park let me summarise obviously uh, made in 1993 directed by Steven Spielberg from Michael Crichton's original novel involves the titular park a theme park in uh, Costa, on an island of Costa Rica um, where a, uh, a slightly naive but extremely wealthy billionaire called John Hammond played by Sir Richard Attenborough breeds a entire theme park of dinosaurs for public consumption and he hires uh, Sam Neill's Dr Alan Grant and Jeff Goldblum's Dr Ian Malcolm as well as several others to come and check out the park and check it safe and inevitably chaos follows we must have well you've obviously all seen this was this was this film as special to you as in your child in your childrenhoods even childhood uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's invent a new word. Childrenhoods. Yes, why not? Childrenhoods. Uh, it's fine. Was this film as special to you in your children childhoods uh, as it was for me? Definitely. He was oh, uh, yes. one of my favourite films. Still one of my favourite films. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've watched that on VCR. and I'd always make sure when it finished I'd rewind it to my favourite bit so the next time I put it on it'd be ready to go. Mm. Um, but yeah, numerous, numerous times I've seen that film. Oh, yes, same. One of the first films I ever saw in the cinema and basically developed a bit of an obsession with dinosaurs I must have had for quite a, quite a long time in my childrenhood. <laughs> <laughs> Children. on. Yes. Childrenhood, yes. It's a thing. It's a thing now. But no, it's, it's a, yeah, like you said, Rick, it's, it's, it's one of those defining moments, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. With you as well, Tony. Where it just sort of hit and then you just stayed with you for the next, you know, five, ten years, whatever. Well, I was I was only twelve, I think, when it came out. It was nineteen ninety three, um, and uh, so to a twelve year old boy, you know, that's just the greatest thing ever. And it was, you know, looking back now, obviously, it was riding off the crest of the wave of of the new advances in you know CGI and um, visual effects that ILM um, championed in the early nineties with primarily Terminator Two, really, which was the first time we ever saw, you know, those kind of 
wow when the T1000 you know morphs um, which I'm sure you're both familiar with and that was the point yeah. where yeah where everyone went wow we can actually and Steven Spielberg especially went okay we can do like it doesn't have to be many rubber suits anymore <laughs> you know or Ray Harryhausen stop motion kind of things we can actually properly do dinosaurs now and that was it and then obviously you know that revolution in, in many ways Jurassic Park was the was the start if, if there was no Jurassic Park there would probably have been no Phantom Menace <laughs> so we've got a lot to blame Jurassic Park for damn it but it was these innovations by people like James Cameron and then Steven Spielberg which which led George Lucas to remake you know to make the prequels and then all the, the onslaught then in the in the you know the 2000s and, and everything of the CGI we have now so you know the legacy of Jurassic Park isn't necessarily as good as the film uh, because it has it did open the door of a Pandora's box really in movie making um, some of which is terrible Transformers but um, <laughs> but the film itself I think he's just I mean I, I watched it the other day um, my, I watched it three times in the cinema when it first came out I watched it when it came out in 2000. Uh, 13 and a re-release and you know I went back to the cinema and had the goosebumps all over again it's it's just it is timeless in terms of how yeah, how definitely. wonderful it is I think oh yes you know it's just uh, what were the goosebump moments for you two do you think the gates well, the gates well, for me, the, the big one for me was uh, when they first see them and just the look on Ellie's face is the exact look I had Mm, when mm. the camera pans around and you see them, and they, I've got goosebumps now. I've just wasn't thinking yeah. about that, but like, yeah. that always gets me that bit. I think yeah. it's, it, it's that moment, isn't it? It's that kind of you know, wow. Mo- you know, it, it's because mm. it's, we hadn't, yeah, we hadn't seen them before, had we? It was the first yeah. moment you'd seen anything like that on film, and you. It, I think the way that he built that up as well. You've got like John Williams' score just escalating in the background. You've got their faces and just that sheer look of. And then, you know, Richard Attenborough goes, Welcome to Jurassic Park. And it's just like, Oh, <laughs> this is going to be good. Um, you said the gates, Pete. Which... Yeah, the, the gates, when the gates open and they, and they go through it, just, just for some reason, it just maybe more, you know, on repeat viewings because I know what's coming up. But for me, it, that just rises the anticipation hickles every time. Mm. There's something special about it, which, which as, as we'll discuss later in Jurassic World, has the same effect again then. So something about that moment, and obviously John Williams's theme, always, always, mm. always. I, I think that's a very underrated theme, isn't it? The, the mm. Jurassic Park. I mean, you know, John Williams has created the best Hollywood themes, I think, in history, but in, collectively. But you know, people they forget that with you know Indiana Jones, Superman, you know, all these different uh, Star Wars, Star obviously. Wars, obviously. And I think people sometimes forget. Oh yeah, Jurassic Park's also got a really iconic. It is movie. iconic. It is um, iconic. I think that's a way to describe the whole film, really, isn't it? It's just mm. it's pop culture mm. iconic in so many ways. You can, you can always tell because there's so many moments that bled through into into other films and other you know elements of pop culture, and it, and it started there. Part of it, even something as simple as, as the obvious um, the water, the, the you know the, oh. the, um, the rumblings in the water. <laughs> the that's my moment. That's that, that that's just... my that's, that, that's my <laughs> moment of, of just like. You know, goosebumps. It's, it's the water. It's the. Is <laughs> that? Oh, I went, when I went to see it again in the cinema a few years ago, it was. It, I had the same experience. I was sitting there with two of my best friends. We'd all we were all roughly the same age. We'd all seen it 
when we were kids and we were just there just you know just gripping the seat going oh my god <laughs> this is so good <laughs> um, it's yeah I think that and um, and possibly the bit that always gets me is, is the bit at the end when they're um, they're running out of the the big like display room with the dinosaur um, bones and the T-Rex is in there and it just roars and then when dinosaurs ruled the earth just falls over it that gets me as well because it's just signature Mm. that's the whole that's the whole point really Mm. I think um, I think think it's a a clever film though as well I think it's it's saying more under the surface than just a big adventure you know blockbuster which of course it is I think there's a little bit more down there don't don't you a bit more of a layer Mm. about the dangers of, of playing God really isn't it measuring things you don't really understand which is it's obviously something it's played on across all the series but mm. I think it's handled best in the first one yeah. it, I mean I mean, it's, it's voiced a lot more by, by in Malcolm in particular doesn't it it's the whole my favourite line of the whole thing is you know we're so so preoccupied with wondering if you could mm. you never stop to you know figure out if you should, if you or, should. Or, that's, that's a paraphrase but yeah that's that, 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 yeah, that, that, that line is just um, oh, it's, it's just, it encapsulates everything about Jurassic Park in one line, doesn't, doesn't it? it? It's that I think that's that's what I like a lot about it because it is it is that whole thing of how you know that's to be honest that's the whole running theme of all the Jurassic Park films really isn't it about mm. these men who aren't respecting nature and who are just expecting these dinosaurs to to do what they want and to be what they want and then you know it. The, when they don't respect nature it bites back at them and it's that whole you know it's the moral argument as well about like Jeff Goldblum says you know you, you just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something and it's it's that whole ethical sort of argument that underpins everything else which gives it more gives it a lot more depth I think Jurassic Park it gives it that and that obviously comes from Michael Crichton you know whose novel was, was quite different it was a lot darker and a lot more there was a lot more stuff about chaos theory in there and with Malcolm and stuff like that, which they have to just cut for the film because they want it to be a you know entertaining ride, which it is. But it's definitely got more depth than than it could have done. Than I think lesser filmmakers would have would have you know had it had it do really. So it's it is a classic. I mean, it, 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 there's no other way to describe it. I think it's just a pure classic. It's it's, it's one of the defining films of the nineties. Right? I mean, every, every decade has its has its core group of films and I think without a doubt Jurassic Park is there in the 90s it's one of the mm. top tier isn't it mm. films you automatically think of when you think of the 90s yeah hugely it's interesting though because Spielberg actually only made this as part of a deal to make Schindler's List in mm. that he uh, yeah in that they uh, the studio said look because he wanted to make Schindler's List he'd been planning it and they said right we'll let you make Schindler's List but you first need to do Jurassic Park and even though he was, he'd been you know setting Jurassic Park up for a couple of years and he was very interested in it. He saw it more as an exercise in filmmaking, in, in, in you know, in technical stuff, than actually something that he was really invested in, like like Schindler's List. And he was he was doing post production on Jurassic Park while he was filming, while he was in like Poland filming Schindler's List. So it's why those two films came out the same year, pretty much. So that was to go from those two. I mean, <laughs> you can't get more extremes, can you? You know. But I think. Uh, it's just it's just got the lot. I mean, to to me, it is it is one of the best films of the nineties. It was it was the the film I think that got me interested in movies. I think it was the one of the films that I remember being a really seminal thing for me. It was the first film I remember seeing multiple times. It was the first films that I think one of the first films that got me wanting to watch more movies. 
you know, it was, it's just, I cannot overestimate how big a thing this was for me when I was a kid. It was, it was my obsession for a long time. Um, so it's just, I just love watching it again. You know, it will always be one of my best, one of my favourite films. And I think one of the best films, I'd put it in the top hundred films, to be honest, ever made, Jurassic Park. I really, I really would. I think it's just, I think it's really great from start to finish. So that's, that's a high accolade. Where can you go from there? I mean, you know, top 50. There's only... <laughs> top 50. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I fear there was only one way to go um, for Jurassic Park, but uh, we'll get to that later. Hmm. Okay, moving on. Uh, we're going to have a break from all the, all the dinosaurs um, and all the Jurassic chat and talk uh, film news because uh, it is another week and there have there has been news and uh, <laughs> it's been it's been an, it's been an interesting week. Some interesting things happened this week. So, uh, Luke, why don't you go first? What's uh, what's what's your film news of the week? Uh, obviously, I think the big one um, recently is Sir Christopher Lee, sadly sadly passing. Mm. Big loss. Uh, I think a lot of people felt that one. You know, he, he had a long run though, so it's something to celebrate, not really sad about you know he, he did a lot of good work um mm. a lot of big work um but you know it, it wasn't just film you know i appreciated the like, the music and the metal and you know um i've been reading up on him recently in uh, his um military career and things like that so i do think he's definitely one to celebrate but it is a big loss to the industry is he the actor for most credits on imdb is that just a myth I'm not too sure. Uh, well, I mean, he, he has had, he did have a seventy-year career, so it, it, even if it's not true, it's, yeah. it, it must be, it must be one of them. He's got to have a lot. It could be. I mean, he, he, I think he's got tons because he, he was, he mm. was still working up until like now to the mm. died. Yeah. Um, so mm. it wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't that surprise me at all? Because um, he'd done all kinds of things over the oh, years. Yes. He'd done I mean, TV and he'd done films and. Heavy metal. Heavy metal. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was. He was. Man. He was. He was the oldest man to be in the Billboard charts as well. Was he really? Yeah. Because <laughs> he was. I think it was at his ninetieth birthday that he released that album. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Legendary. Yeah. He's just. He is. Uh, you know, genuinely a remarkable man. I think. Oh wow. Had a remarkable life. I think someone described it as, you know, most of us will only do like a fraction in our entire life of what Christopher Lee did in his yeah. you know and uh, it's like the amount of things I mean one of my favourite facts and there's I mean there's tons of facts about him but one of my favourite facts is, is that he was in the SAS and he, mm. he can't he can't talk about what he did <laughs> <laughs> even even now he was asked and he says I can't talk about any past present or future operations just know that like I was in it and that's it which makes me think that he was involved in some serious shit <laughs> back in the day. You know, he was probably there in Hitler's bunker. Do you know what I mean? Uh, he's just like, it makes you wonder. To be fair, if if you were an enemy agent and they sent Christopher Wee after you, you would just go, fair play. Hands you'd up, just hear that take voice me. and you'd be like, D- yeah, I'm just not. Track yours not after me. I'm going. <laughs> it would be that kind of deep voice, you know, that kind of thing. Talking to you, you'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just, just a slight little um, footnote as well. Um, his final role is actually coming out. It is a film he filmed last year, but it's, only, it's coming out soon. And um, the name of the film escapes me now, but his actual part is the boss of the universe. 
<laughs> I think he's just so fitting. What a perfect way to go out. What a perfect way to end. <laughs> Boss of the universe. Brilliant. I think uh, I think a lot of people were affected by it because he's one of those people I think you really thought was going to be around forever. Yeah. You know, he was he was going on and he he wasn't you know he was still working and he'd been in so many iconic things. I mean. Obviously, he was Dracula, you know. Yeah. He'd done things like Fu Manchu, he'd done all the Hammer films, he'd done. Obviously, he was Scaramanga, which is my favourite role yeah, yeah. he yeah. ever did. Not a good <laughs> film, The Man with the Golden Gun, in my opinion, but he was brilliant all the way through. Easily the best thing in that film. Easily. And he wasn't even in much of it when you look back, actually. Uh-huh. He's only in like about half that film. Top he's in all that matters. All yeah. that matters, you see. All the bits that are good, he's in. Um, you know. And it's that I, I when when um, I put a picture on Facebook of him um, at the dinner table when he's talking to Bond, and he says, uh, "Oh, Bond, uh, uh, you you take just as much pleasure in killing as I do." And I always think of the trip. I don't know if you've seen the trip with Steve Coogan and uh, Rob Brydon because they do yes. that scene, and, it's like, and they 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 try and out Bond each other <laughs> and out Scaramanga each other. Come, come as the Bond. They're drinking wine, getting more drunk. Come, come as the Bond. You take more pleasure than killing. It's great. Um, I recommend that. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but then, obviously, you know things like Saruman the White and uh, and then Count Dooku. I mean, say what you like about the prequels, they're shit. Say what you like about them. Uh, <laughs> he was great, you know. I think in those, and it's he could pretty much elevate. I think anything he was in, really. Um, yeah. Even when he was in shit, and he did a lot of shit, you know, <laughs> he was good. So a great, a great actor. Also, must be said, uh, and it's a bit of a shame because this got slightly overlooked by Christopher Lee, but Ron, Ron Moody died as well on the same day. Yes, um, yeah. And uh, obviously Ron Moody was um, um, was Fagin in Oliver Twist. Mm. Another great old actor, another bit of a legend. Didn't make as much of an impact as Christopher Lee, but... Um, Who did? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But one of those, you know, great old actors who'd done some really good stuff and was quite underrated, actually, and he was one of those people I think from what I've read since he turned a lot down I think if he'd have I mean he, he got the chance to play the Doctor for instance back mm. in the 60s and he, he said no and he regretted that I think had he not turned a lot more down a lot more people would have known who Ron Moody was mm. but you know he I was remember. 91 yeah so two non-engineering actors dying in one week mm. very sad so rest in peace Christopher Lee and Ron Moody I, there was a great exchange that, my, that Les, Les Pitt who's been on the uh the podcast put on, on uh, Facebook about this. Uh, it was a, 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 an imagined conversation between Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in heaven, in which um, <laughs> Peter Cushing says to him, um, so how did you leave them down there, Christopher? And he just replies, terrified. Um, <laughs> 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 which I like. I think that sums it up, really. Yes. Pete, what's your news, anyway? My news is it's a lot lighter, but... <laughs> But um, but yes, it's, it's it's just a red bit of balance. It's um, casting news for the new Ghostbusters film. Obviously, with Paul Feig's Spy coming out last week, there's, there's been a lot of press about Ghostbusters film that we're doing next year, and quite, quite probably the first male cast member announced for it is Chris Hemsworth. He's been cast as the receptionist, which I think is is brilliantly subversive. And uh, yeah. It's, it, yeah, there, there you go. I, I don't think he'll be playing Janine Melnitz, but you never know. Um, Jane, yeah. James Melnitz. <laughs> um. But yes, it's, it's, I like Chris Hemsworth, and I like his, uh, his comic timing, I think, is underrated. So mm. it, I think he'll be a good fit for, in whatever sort of, presumably a small part in the film, but you know, it, it, 
everything, everything took quite well. And I, I've got more confidence about that film because I really like a spy. Mm. Yeah, so, 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 you know, I'm, I'm getting more and more, you know, I don't want to say excited, but intrigued by it. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that's a great bit of casting. I think it's a very shrewd piece of, piece of casting from mm. Chris Hemsworth, actually. I think it's a very shrewd move because that Playing that with film, his image a bit. Yeah, that film is going to be extremely successful. I, I mean, Spy, like you said, Spy was, Spy was, Spy's good. Spy's a good film. You know, we reviewed Spy last week. Mm. Spy's funny. It's got me a lot more excited for Ghostbusters. The very name of Ghostbusters is enormous. It's a franchise in itself. It will do well despite whatever. You know, it will it will storm the box office. It's a shrewd move because it will allow him, like you said, to play comedy. Mm. And he is good at comedy because you couldn't play Thor the way it's played without being good at comedy. You know, he is. Mm. He's, he's he's got that deadpan. A bit like Channing Tatum in that he's got that deadpan you know, sort of delivery. Channing Tatum could play that part as well, I, I dare say, in Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's that kind of... They both got cut that. from the same cloth, aren't they? They are a little bit, yeah. They're both cut from the same cloth. I think it's very clever. Very clever move. Nice piece of casting. How about you, Luke? Are you looking forward to, to Ghostbusters 3? Do you know much about it? Mm, not really. I'm not really looking forward to it. <laughs> Mainly because I'm not a fan of this big stunt thing of a, oh, it's an all-female cast, and yeah, I'm just not really that interested in it. <laughs> Um, I'm not a massive fan of remakes um, and reboots, and I think this trend needs to stop. I'd much rather see original content than them just rehashing what they know is going to sell tickets. Well, it's interesting because uh, yeah. this has been this has been an ongoing debate lately, and it was something that we covered, I think, last week briefly, which is the fact that original films are not they're not doing box office. Very rarely <laughs> are they doing box. And I was feeling, I was having this conversation with my housemates not long before recording because we were talking about um, Jurassic World which we'll get to later but it, it has absolutely destroyed the box office this weekend yeah. it, you know it, <laughs> ridiculously um, we'll, we'll talk more about that later but it's this whole idea that you know if you compare that to Tomorrowland which came out a few weeks ago that has been a, a, quite a flop for Disney yeah I think uh, Disney said they were expecting a $140 million loss on it aren't they something right. like that it's, it's up there it's getting up there with your John Carter yeah. Kind of losses here now. Again, John Carter was in a. Um, it's based on a on a um, you know on a, on a series of series of novels in the early nineteen hundreds, isn't it? Like Edwardian right, stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, that's right. Edwardian, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Edgar Rice Burroughs. Well, it's, it's that sort. It's that sort of timing, period. Yeah. But. Yeah, roughly. It, it's that exactly. It, and so it's it's not necessarily original, but it, in comparison to franchises, it is. You know, but again, that did nothing. I mean, that wasn't a good film. But regardless, <laughs> Tomorrowland's a better film than that. But the point is, people aren't watch. People aren't going to see that stuff for some reason. And you, you know, for, for Tomorrowland, you can't accuse that of not having the right components. You know, yeah. it had a really good director, had a nice story. It had George Clooney, who's a box office draw. It's like, so where did it go wrong? So has um, has there been just 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 to, I've been probably missed the last couple of minutes. Has it been an absolute box office smash that's not been an adaptation or a sequel or a reboot or anything of that kind since inception? Because that's the last time I think it's been one. Well, that's five years ago. That's that would be interesting. If anyone knows that, tweet us or Facebook us and let us know actually, because that's that's a really interesting question because I don't know the answer to that one. I sh- I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I really can't. If anything, most of these things have made a loss, mm. um, or they mm. they broke even, or they've not done too badly, but they haven't titanically destroyed the box office. The big hitters um, these days are 
established franchise with the continuations or reboots or adaptations or something like that, aren't they? But, but, but even more so than, than usual. I mean, it's like there's something's changed to the point where people just are not going out to see the cinema for anything that they don't already know or have a, st- a built-in relationship with, you know. And I've, it could be the proliferation of the cinematic franchise that, that's caused this problem because now you've got so many franchises, and not just sequels, not just, you know, the odd double film or the odd trilogy like The Matrix. You've actually got now... I mean, if they were doing The Matrix now, The Matrix would have been about nine or ten films with lots of spin-offs. <laughs> <laughs> from, like, you know, Morpheus would have got his like, an origin film. Do you know what I mean? It would have been... That's what would have happened. Um, I was I was all offered to be more cool about Agent Smith, just called Smith. Smith. Yes. <laughs> we laugh about it, but it probably would have happened. Smith the movie. Um, so yeah, we're at, we're at a point now, I think, where people they want some kind of already built-in, ongoing narrative, connective tissue story, mm. or something that has a history to it. It's it's quite scary, really, because it. Mm, I don't know where it's all going to end, really. Um, because it, well, well, I do. People won't get green light to make anything original anymore. That that's where it will end, and that your your big films, original films, will have no budget anymore. You know, you won't get films like Tomorrowland made because mm-hmm. nobody will fund them, or if they make them, they'll have to be massively scaled down, and they won't be what was intended to be, which is which is sad. What do we need to be a big superstar director to get a huge cast together and and just shoot fit? I mean, well. Avatar is the obvious one there. I mean, that was that, that, that's still the box office, yeah, the box office smash of all time, isn't it? And that was original in 2009. Yeah. So it is yeah. possible. It just needs something, yeah, monstrous like that, something that's new, innovative, in, in ways think, people have never seen before. With Avatar, though, I think you can't underestimate the, the 3D impact there. I mean, that well, that's, that's, that's what I'm suggesting, really, as well. Where, yeah, it needs something different, and that was different in its day. I think, was... I, I think I may have an answer to the question actually that you earlier posed mm. Interstellar wasn't that big of a smash show wasn't it like a Inter- monster smash was it Interstellar made nearly 700 million did it so yeah I didn't realise it made quite as big a dent in the box because it did then it, it, it did I, it's, that's possibly with, with you know on demand Blu-ray I suppose you know, afterwards yeah but, I suppose um, Six hundred and seventy-two million. So that's a lot better than I thought it did. That's a lot of money, you know, for one. But again, the reason is that you've got you've got Nolan, and he assembled a cast who are at the top of their game in terms of popularity. Matthew McConaughey has just got an Oscar. He's a massive name now. People will go to see him, you know. In and then it had you know had a really good cast. It's got Nolan. It's it just had a hell of a lot of buzz behind it. So yeah, you've got to have I think that now really direct. We're in an age now where the director has become as big a name as a star now. If anything, bigger. You know, it, there are only a few actors in Hollywood now where you can genuinely put the name above the film and the name will sell the film. I think I think we've got one now certainly <laughs> coming out coming out of this last week. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> Permit, yes. Um, well, it's, yeah. It's, on, it's, on, it's only cycles though because I mean you know in the 40s and 50s directors were god anyway I mean obviously Hitchcock and John mm. Ford and and, and um, directors like that were, were obviously huge weren't they David Lean etc yeah that's a good point I think so it's, it's maybe it's going back round yeah I agree I think I think you're absolutely right I think I think it has come back to that I think the days of the big 
the big actor carrying the films are largely gone. You know, you like I say, there's only a handful. You could probably Tom Cruise, probably Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah, probably Robert Downey Jr. Jennifer um, Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence these days, I think. Maybe, but then she, she, I don't know. I, I think she, most of the time she's she's done most of what she's done has been relatively on big films, but they're ensemble. You know, I mean, yeah, The Hunger Games, mm. I guess, but I don't think that's her. I think that's The Hunger Games because that that's the books. Mm. Um, I don't know about that. M- possibly, possibly. We'll have to see Chris Pratt in films that aren't franchise-based mm, to determine I don't, this well, stuff. Yeah. If anyone like can think of any other big films that are booking this trend, do let us know. Do, do let us know. It's a really interesting topic. We, I dare say we will revisit this at some point. So that's the news for this week. That's a few snippets of news. Let's get get on with the. Uh, let's get back to dinosaurs. Um, again, your impression is not improving. It's not improving, is it? I'm hoping it will throughout the podcast. It's getting uh, worse through time, which yeah. it's going to get, get slightly better again twenty two years later. Okay, well, uh, we're going to move on and uh, take a look at the second Jurassic Park film, The Lost World. stumbled upon site B. Now it's only a matter of time before this lost world is found and pillaged. Hopefully we've kept this island quarantined and contained, but I'm in shock about all this. Wow. Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and then screaming. Mm. Uh, yeah, it came out in 1997. Steven Spielberg back on board. The basic idea is that there was a second island. There was another. Instead, instead of it being a park, but it's, it's basically, well, instead of being a zoo, this is a safari park in essence, isn't it? It's where the dinosaurs are to roam free. Things go wrong, as, as is usually the case. Um, Richard Attenborough's character John Hammond sends for Ian Malcolm again good old Jeff Goldblum, to basically go and sort things out with a motley crew, including a team of big game hunters for reasons best explained by plot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's character is also convinced to go, in fact, that his ex-girlfriend and, well, his current girlfriend, I believe, and his teenage daughter are also there in a, in a plot device with from Dungeons Dragons Crusade. But, never mind. Um, yeah, so things go down, people die, T-Rex gets captured and taken to San Diego and the film goes badly wrong from then on mm. as it turns as it morphs into a really bad Godzilla knockoff despite what you may have got from a slightly sarky aside there are some good points to it um, I really liked Pete Postlethwaite in particular who plays the chief yes. big game hunter Rowan Timbo he is whenever he's on screen he electrifies it um, mm. particularly the, the, the opening really moment you see all these hunters in full form just blasting away at uh, as a you know dinosaurs in the, in, as a roaming free and when unfortunately you know spoilers he doesn't make it to the end of the film when when he does leave the the, the island <laughs> it's just very survivor esque doesn't it when he does leave the island there <laughs> that would have been better actually dinosaur meets survivor but yeah um Yes. Oh, yes. When when he does when he does go, um, the film takes a nosedive from there. Goldblum's great. 
as as ever. Richard Schiff is in it, which I think is fantastic. Mm, he doesn't that. do anything, but he's in it. Mm. There's, there's a few good there's a few good action sequences, a few a few bits of spear working and touches, but then like I say it all goes really badly wrong towards the end. And you just have T Rexes stomping around the suburbs of San Diego, which is just a bit a bit daft. Um, and and um, it, it all falls apart. It's a, it's a, it was apparently based off a Michael Crichton novel, which was a sequel mm. to his original one. I haven't read that, so I don't know how much of it was taken from it, but I can't believe the second half of it was. Yeah. I think, it, I think the problem with this one is, I mean, it was, it was written by, by fan demand for a start. Crichton wasn't going to do a sequel. Yeah, uh, and the fans said to him, "Oh, do another one because we love Jurassic Park the film. We want another film." And he was like, "Oh, go on then, if I must." He knew he knew a cash cow when he saw it, but it was written in in sort of tandem with the scripts. Mm. But the problem is, for me, this this isn't really a Steven Spielberg film. You know, it it, it doesn't fit him almost because it's not it's not that kind of Steven Spielberg is great at two things, and I'll we'll talk more about this later. I dare say, but he's great at. At films that have deep meaning and can be very like serious and based on you know emotion and things like that and actual world events and and then he's brilliant at, at action adventure and you know mm. escapism what he's not good at and what he doesn't fit is almost like corporate conspiracy monster thriller and that's effectively what this is I, I, I wrote a review of this and I, I put you know it, it's the whole high concept classic blockbuster thing again if you can sum up the story of Jurassic Park in one line, dinosaurs escape from a dinosaur-based theme park. Simple. That, that's, that's effectively what it is. What's the actual one-line through-line of The Lost World? Can neither of you do it? What is it? What's, what's the story of this film? Di- dinosaurs, dinosaurs in Jungle Island get captured and deposited to San Diego for no reason. Right. Okay, that, that's probably in its basic form. Scientists sent to Ireland to categorise dinosaurs, but another team goes to the island to kidnap them and put them in an amphitheatre as part of a um, conglomerate plan. Uh, exactly. Do you see? Do you see what? See the difference, right? Even in the third one, you can say family um, attempt to rescue their son from dinosaur um, preserve. You know, you can even do it with the third one. I mean, that, that's not really a great film. Dinosaur Preserve just sounds like a make of jam. Mmm, <laughs> a jam. But, you know, so it's the whole thing of, I think, when when you can't actually do that with, with a script and with, with, a, with a story, you've got a problem. You've got a fundamental problem. And I think it's a very baggy film. You know, it, it just it goes around the hazes. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't particularly, it doesn't have an exciting through line. It does have its moments. It's like you said, mm. there are some well-directed sequences. The one that stands out for me is roughly halfway through the smack bang halfway through the film where their trailer goes over a cliff edge and they're hanging yes. on yeah. that is the best moment that is far better than anything else in this film because it's really well directed it's tense as anything and it's just five minutes of pure I mean it's as good as anything in Jurassic Park for me that, that sequence um, but that's it the rest of it is very bother numbers as you say the characters aren't nearly as interesting poor Jeff Goldblum he he really is not a leading man in this kind of film. He's, he as the fly proved, he can do a leading oh, man perfectly. I love well. that film. Great film. He's nothing. I'm not. Take, I mean, Jeff Goldblum makes any film better for me. But in this film, he is not a leading man. All the all the stuff that made Ian Malcolm great in the first film has to go in order for him to be a, a leading man. He's he's being a Malcolm Grant hybrid, isn't he? He's being yeah. Malcolm Grant. Malcolm <laughs> Grant. Yeah. 
and it doesn't work. He's not he's not got that sort of sly, you know, flirty, you know, slightly arrogant cleverness to him. He's just a dad who is trying to save his daughter while getting exasperated by everyone else and running around a lot. It's like, well, yeah, not... yeah. the only bit where he is the same character is actually in his introduction when when yeah. Hammond beats him again. When that great he says, "I'm not making the same mistakes last time. No, you're making all no, new, ones. new ones." Yeah, it, it, that, that is great. That's when you get the classic. Jeff, Jeff Goldblum way of talking which is to do yes. lots of sentences and then stop and think about it so John you, are you really going to go to the island and, and, and do all those things you must be crazy is, is that really, I love the way he speaks it's great um, but yeah it, I, after, I just, after that opening scene and it, it just becomes like I said he's half Malcolm and half yeah, yeah, Disney. It's not. I think you're completely right, and it doesn't work. You know, you can't make a mathma- a, a, a sarky mathematician into a leading man in an action film. Yeah, you know, it doesn't work. It just wait till the sequel to the Theory of Everything, <laughs> the one where Stephen Hawking gets bionic legs and has to go uh, and chase dinosaurs. I'd watch that actually. <laughs> um, on PC, as that would be. <laughs> <laughs> it can't make you any type of surprise. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just it's disappointing. I mean, I think it's if not Spielberg's worst film, then it's one of them. And it's it, it's a shame because it's not really his fault. Really, he does try, but he even his elements. But it's 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 a bland film from Spielberg, and yeah. he doesn't be too bland. It drags. It, it goes on, you know. And even he has admitted that it got away from him and while he was filming he said that you know he felt like it was he didn't know what the core and the and the emotion and the soul of that film was he said I was making it and I was thinking well what is this really and I think he there isn't it. exactly because there isn't it's just like you say when you get to the end and it's it's just dinosaurs on, on it's in a bad Godzilla movie isn't it it's a yeah. bad Godzilla movie it's just like oh this isn't nearly as cool as you think it would be and uh, you know I, you see, I like the idea of it being in the jungle. That was a good development because I thought, sort of, the first one was the, was the dinosaurs in the human world versus humans in the dinosaur world. I think that's a nice change. But then it's dinosaurs in another human world, but, you know, in, in, in a town. It's, it's not as scary or as creepy yeah. or anything. It's just, oh, look, there's a T Rex going past my window. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah, that is all it is. And, you know, you don't really believe any of it. And it's just, it's just all a little bit. Pointless, really. Why San Diego? I know because it's a massive zoo, <laughs> but you take it to New York or Los Angeles. If you go to America, you take it to a big city where there's stuff people recognise. Yeah. There was no in San Diego. Anyone San cares Diego. about it? Maybe it was cheaper to film there. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I'm guessing it's because of a zoo, but even then. Yeah. Luke, are you a fan? It's not my least favourite out of the four. Mm. Um, it's That's my favourite, but um, <laughs> yeah. so it's not—it's not a massive improvement. Um, there was just something lacking in it. Like I, I think you know, like you're saying with Spielberg not understanding what the film was, um, but then the cast as well. I think I, I don't think the cast that interested. Like since mm. obviously the release, Julianne Moore said she only did it because she needed to pay off the divorce settlement, <laughs> and you know it was just very. <laughs> this is going to make money, so we'll do it. Mm. Um, it's interesting what you say about your reactions because it's. On paper, he's got. Look at it. He's got a really good cast, hasn't he? I yeah. mean, Jeff Goldblum, Julianne Moore. Mm. I mean, Vince Vaughn. He can be okay. Pete Fosselthwaite, as we say, was great, but 
Vince Vaughn before he basically self-destructed his entire career. Sweeper yeah. wound. Before he discovered. Before he put the yeah, weight on. Vegas. Yeah. Before he put the weight on. Probably because he knows he's making shite, so he just eats to make himself feel better. <laughs> you were saying that the scene in the trailer with, when the trailer goes mm. over the edge. That's obviously my favourite scene from it. I think it's one of the only good like action set pieces in it that actually worked. Mm. Um, and then I really like the opening as well, just because I love that snotty posh English girl <laughs> being attacked. <laughs> Because like, I'm not being funny, but if I saw a big, well, quite a large herd of <laughs> lizards walking on two legs, I wouldn't be feeding it a roast beef sandwich. <laughs> I'd be screaming for help a lot sooner. You're fucking right, wouldn't you? You're like, yeah, yeah. Stupid, stupid little cow. Um, I do, I do agree. I do agree about Postlethwaite, though, definitely. And I, uh, there's, there's that moment when you first meet the character where he basically turns around to Alice Howard and goes. Right, I will. I will do this for you, but I want to hunt a T Rex, and I'm not going to tell you why. It's my business. Just do what I want, and it's just a brilliant yeah. moment where <laughs> he, you just this guy means business. He means business. Unfortunately, he's completely wasted after that, and you really, he really is for the most for the most I, part. I, I love a bit when it's the first hunt, and you see him just absolutely loving this. He's just taking pop shots over. Yeah. Spielberg called Postlethwaite um, after filming this. Actually, the the, the greatest actor in the world. Um, it is hard to refute that actually um, at the time you know he's, he's definitely he was definitely one of the greatest actors I think out there so and he does it's a, just a shame that he doesn't get more to do and he doesn't get like you know he doesn't he, not even he can really save this which is a bit of a shame I just I just think it was a, a real misfire and it's just by this point kids and everybody had become obsessed with dinosaurs so it was always going to yeah. be well at the box office um, and, and kids would have been happy with it enough because there was enough there was dinosaurs in it and it, they were you know but critically I thought it was bollocks even then and it hasn't I, my opinion hasn't changed in, in 15, mm. 16 well nearly 20 years actually so thumbs down for The Lost World I think mm-hmm. we're going to move away again from the dinosaurs and uh, just quickly we're going to talk about the current box office figures um, mm. for the UK uh, which are always interesting. This is for the weekend of the 5th to the 7th of June, so uh, previous weekend uh, to the one we're recording on, and uh, we're going to go down at number 10, um, falling rapidly actually, in two weeks, he's man up, um, which has made a million, that's all. It's, it's only had a limited release though, hasn't it, relatively speaking, I mean, in this era of multiplexes and things, it's not oh, really... No, this is 306 cinemas, really? so that's, yeah, that's a fairly... It's a fairly wide release. It's been in cine worlds and things like that, so it's done nothing really at the box office. It's debuted um, halfway up, and it's—I'm not surprised it hasn't done much. But I—I—it's—I think it would still probably be considered a flop, even so. At number nine, um, now yes, good luck. I'm going to mispronounce this. Um, Dil Gad. <laughs> it's a Bollywood film. All right, it's a Bollywood film. Um, it's called Dil Dadakani Do. I think. I, I don't know what that film's about at all, but it's a Bollywood film, and um, you know there, there is definitely a market for that. So uh, I'm, I'm, always in, I'm always impressed because I've never been involved or interested in a Bollywood because I, I, I just I just don't understand it. But it always we always seem to do well at the box office. Mm, the yeah, they they definitely have a, a fan base. Well, that's made just over two hundred thousand. Um, so yeah, at uh, number eight, um, this is a little bit of a cheat I suppose but it's yes um, it, yeah, this is um, uh, The Empire Strikes Back but obviously The Empire Strikes Back hasn't had a release you know nationwide this is purely from the secret cinema event mm. in London um, so it's just one screening and um, it's made £304,000 already 
And this is this is over one weekend. I mean, the reason the reason is that the tickets are seventy five pound a pop, so they're they're counting the seventy five quid as the. So it's it's a cheat. It is a cheat. If if it keeps going like this, this would be top of the box office. Like you know, very probably not. Probably not this week. Hmm. But but um, no, I'm surprised they're counting it to be honest because it's a bit of a cheat. You went to that, didn't you, Tony? I did, and um, mm. I, I, I actually probably can't tell you much about it because no. you, you do have to sign a confidentiality. Yes, yeah, it is. It is. It is very. Um, well, it's, it's secret, isn't it? it what is, what yeah, actually which is, happens? Uh, which but, is why I've, I've, I haven't reviewed it actually properly because mm. I know I'd give too much away. Um, so, so what so, more to it than just the film? Suffice to say, yeah, it's a, it's a gen, genuine immersion into into the world of Star Wars and it, it's, it's marvellous I mean it, it, it's completely worth the money it's a lot of money but it, it's really worth it it's, it's a fantastic experience and it's all all night you know it's a good five hours experience and I, yeah I went with um, my mates Lee and Matt and uh, Lee brought with him um, and, and, and a small R2-D2 with him like a, a, a baby sized R2-D2 which actually speaks and you know it responds to commands so you say hey R2 and it goes <laughs> and does the head turn so kids were loving that because uh, it never it wasn't it was being quite surly. So because the batteries were powered down, so at times it wasn't responding. It was just going like that, and then it was being R two. Yeah, and when Lee would turn to it and go, "You don't want to know R two, do you?" He'd just shake his head and go, <laughs> "Brilliant." Uh, so, but no, wonderful, wonderful experience. I would recommend it to anyone. It's especially. If you go there and you're not a Star Wars obsessive, you might be a... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Little bit. You know, it might be a bit too much for you, but if you love Star Wars, it, it's unlike anything else. So, And obviously, Empire Strikes Back is a great film. Uh, and number seven, um, Tomorrowland, um, mm. which in its third week has now made uh, it's made four million, nearly five million, which isn't too bad. So it's not it's not done too bad, but 
it probably would have done a lot more had it got good word of mouth and everything which I don't think it really has and number six still in there is um, Avengers Age of Ultron that's made 47 million now at, at just in our box office alone which is when is it going to drop out of the top ten it's going to be a month two months <laughs> it's in its seventh week and it's still showing at cinemas so I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep it rolling over the summer holidays as well to get some more kids mm. go back and watch it um, well it'll, it'll so. probably float up again when Ant-Man comes out won't it so. yeah possibly I think it'll break 50 million at some point mm. which is great uh, at number five dropping uh, a couple of places is uh, Pitch Perfect 2 um, in its fourth week it's made 16 million it's not bad it's not doing too badly um, good real run hasn't it yeah, yeah a good little run. it's certainly made enough globally to to that there are already talks about the third film which delights Don't me do it. I, I loved it no I love Pitch Perfect <laughs> I love both well I, I love the first one this one is yeah. really good no. but I love them uh, <laughs> Anna Kendrick she's just adorable yes. she really is and they're just nice <laughs> films but yeah Luke are you not a fan of Pitch Perfect uh, loved the first one. Uh, mm-hmm. Second one was meh, and the third one, if they do do it, I think it's just going to go down again. Uh, and I'd rather have the good memories <laughs> than well, it was good, but then look what's happened. And it's yeah, so it's, it's a strange one because that's normally the type of film that I really love and yeah. I'd be championing all the way. But, um, is, 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 this a, is this a similar scenario to say if it's going to be I mean it probably won't be but if it's a sequel to Mean Girls comes out it would be a similar scenario uh, well, well one that's actually you know probably released not just a sort of <laughs> quick <laughs> um, yeah yeah it's you know it's I don't think it's Lightning an idea that is big enough to have multiple sequels I, I think it should have just been a self-contained solo film uh, a lot of what was good about the first one was lost in the second one I thought um, just, just be glad it's not yeah. Sony behind it, otherwise they try and build a cinematic universe around it because they're desperate to have one. <laughs> oh, they'll just reboot it in three years, and then three years later they'll reboot it again, and then reboot it again like they're doing with Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just, you just have a separate franchise for for each cheerleading team throughout the United States, and then you have a big crossover at a cheerleading arena. It, it, I don't know. Not, it would not surprise me. <laughs> um, Sony and Matt. I, yeah. I think I think there's I think there's room for a third. I think a third would really be it. I mean that that you couldn't do any more than that. There's definitely room for a third film. I mean, as soon as I walked out, I could see the plot of the third film already, you know, in my head. You know, um, it, it's easy enough to figure out. So I'm, and then by the sound of it, they're definitely going to do it. So, you know, that's good because it's a nice film. Um, yeah. At number four, uh, still in there, um, wonderfully in its fourth week, Mad Max: uh, Fury Road. This has made 15 million now, which is a good take. So it's it's done well. Film of the year so far for me. Nothing oh, has come was, close to beating it. I was about to say um, the same. I was about to say exactly the same. It's my film of the year by, by a country mile. Yeah, nothing so far has touched the sides of that. So I'm hoping some stuff will. Um, There's a couple of films coming out towards the back end of the year that might have a chance, but yeah. for now, for now. If, if it's not in my top five of the year, I'll be I'll be pretty amazed. Wonderful film. And number three, Insidious Chapter Three, um, which uh, Ian <laughs> one end of a scale to the other, one end of a scale to the other, right there. Ian uh, Ian destroyed it. In fact, uh, speaking of that, you can uh, if you go to um, uh, Zedmore Rants in on YouTube, you can see Ian Austin do more of a uh, of an in depth rant <laughs> about Insidious Chapter Three. Um, so I do recommend you pop and give him a look. 
Um, that has made nearly 1.5 million though, so it's you know it's made not bad not bad money. Usual um, usual teenage crowd for any yeah. horror film that comes out, isn't it? No. But I, I don't think it will last much longer. I think it will pretty it will sink pretty fast. If, it, if it's if um, it's top five next week, then I'll be very surprised. I agree. And number two, uh, San Andreas. Um, with The Rock versus Nature in its second week. Uh, <laughs> the Rock versus Rocks. Oh. The Rock versus Rocks. Um, that's made see, eight and a half million, so that's a big hit, and it will probably stay in there for a while yet. Surprise her, because it's nothing groundbreaking. Oh, very good. Very good. Um, I'll be here all week. <laughs> I think you're actually on a technical point right, though. <laughs> um, it is true. It was, it's a good old um, standard disaster movie. It would yeah. probably be made about 1975 and you would have brought in an eye of it. Yeah, it's an old Irwin Allen just with a bit of cherry on exactly. really. Um, but it's got The Rock and anything with The Rock deserves a bit of a cherry. At number one, though, inevitably, in its first week in East Spy at uh, 2.5 million. Um, so it's made a good done a good growth, growth this weekend um, I think Spy will hang about there for a couple of weeks at least I, I thoroughly enjoyed Spy like I said last week I thought it was I thought it was great fun it's not perfect it's got it's it, it's, it's a bit too, over long it? and, um, it, it's plot goes a bit round the ages sometimes and Miranda's pointless but the rest of it <laughs> that's just general that's just a general viewpoint in general but especially in the film yeah. in general I think overall it just it really made me laugh a lot Plus, um, Statham. Statham. He's a joy to behold. I, in this you see, I want Statham just to go off down that route of being, being much about Chris Hemsworth earlier, but playing against type and being more comedic seems to work for Statham. I think, yes, but as long as he doesn't do it too often. I think every now Not and then... Not to a point of parody, but... Yeah. Every now and then, yeah, maybe go off and do something. I mean, if they do a... Well, say if, when they do a Spy 2, and I'm sure they will... You know, getting spies. Surely that's not for spies. Yeah, must be. Um, I'm sure they will probably do a sequel because it's done quite well at the box office. But yeah, I, I I think he's he's the thing is he's always been good at this. I mean, if you go back to Snatch, no, uh, I mean he was really funny in Snatch, playing like a, a slightly sort of what oh, the fuck kind of villain, kind of kind of a gangster. You know, he's he's always had that edge of comedy yeah. to him. But um, yeah, the transporter films, transporter yeah. films. I mean, the first one in Melee, but yeah. There's definitely a bit of a dry wit in there, I agree. So yeah, that's the box office. Um, expect uh, uh, Jurassic World to trample its way... <laughs> oh, that's what I did there. To trample and roar its way into the uh, into the top of the charts next week, but we'll uh, we'll examine that when we're back. Um, we'll, chew, we'll chew into it, shall we? We'll chew into it next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of, um, let's chew into the next uh, of the dinosaur. Get in there. No, it isn't. Yeah, no, it is. Um, I'm determined. Um, we'll chew into the next Jurassic th- film, and this is um, Jurassic Park 3. I have a, a proposition I'd like to discuss with you. I've chartered an airplane to fly us over Isla Sorna, and we'd like you to be our guide. We'd love to make a contribution to your research here. It could almost be paradise. My God, I'd forgotten. We have a landing strip up yes. here. cannot yes. land on this island. Oh, my God! But in this forbidden place, where man has tampered with nature... This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. Something unexpected has evolved. Yeah, the, the the first one to not be based on a book or have Spielberg 
behind it, and which obviously really shows. <laughs> Basically, um, starts opens up with a, a man and a boy parasailing around this island, which, you know, what's going to go wrong there? <laughs> get lost on the <laughs> island. So his parents hire the protagonist of the first film, Sam Neill, to fly around the island only. They'll, they won't land, they'll just fly around. Um, <laughs> they land. <laughs> and, um, Damn. This is shocking me. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, three big things missing from this one. Uh, Michael Crichton, Logic. Steven Spielberg, and T-Rex. <laughs> um, you know, what's, arguably what's... the most well-known dinosaur. And <laughs> it's a Spinosaurus that's the big dinosaur from this one. Steven Spielberg was involved on a production level, mm. in fairness. He was yeah. the executive producer, but yeah, I know what you mean. He Joe Johnson was director, wasn't he? He was, a, he was mm. a darn good director at certain things. The Rocketeer mm. and, and Captain America, obviously. But... This, this film had three writers, but it doesn't have an ending. <laughs> it a... doesn't have any... Yeah, you're right there. It doesn't at all. It, it, um, it's, you know... it's a lot of middle. It's a hell of a lot of yeah, middle. It... They went into production and they started filming before the script was even finished. And that definitely shows that it was just like, oh, so what do we do now? What do we do now? What do we do now? And then it ends, you know, you're at the end of your 90 minute run time and they just leave the island. It's <laughs> um, obviously similar to previous films, but yeah, the, I don't like the ending to this one at all. It, it builds up to this, um, you know, I think it has the great chase of the Spinosaurus following them throughout the film, but then they just kind of peter out about 15 minutes before the end where you fire a flare at some water and it just swings off <laughs> and then you have the, the velociraptor at the end with the eggs and <laughs> Sam Neill blows on a computer made larynx and oh, obviously that God. means that the raptors understand what he's saying and he's saying the exact right thing to them and they just take their eggs and leave and then they run to the beach and get on a boat. <laughs> it's, There's no ending I, to it at I, all. I love the Universal Translator for us about to edition. <laughs> I really do. I'm surprised that didn't take off in, in toy stores up and down the country. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a weird, it's a weird film, this, because it's... I mean, it came about, I think, partly because when um, money. this film was made... Well, yeah, money, mainly. But when... <laughs> When the first film was made, Joe Johnson actually said to Spielberg yeah, to do the second the sequel. And, yeah, and then he said, well, no, I want to direct that. I mean, what a sh- that stupid choice there, Steve. But, like, um, I mean, he pretty much probably knew there'd be another one because yeah. he was going to make money. And he, said, he said he could do the do, third. Yeah. yeah, he said you can, do the, you can do the third one if we ever make it. So that was probably another factor towards it. And it's the whole thing of, well... Yeah, you can totally tell that they didn't finish the story. It went through, yeah, uh, they they spent eighteen million actually on on pre production of a completely different story, which they then jumped five weeks before they were going to start filming because it didn't work. So then they had to they brought back David Coep who who directed who wrote the first and second partly the second mm-hmm. films. No, um, all completely the second and partly the first. Yeah, um, yeah. There you go, and. Um, so they got him back involved. Yeah, entirely a good move in that case if he was responsible for the second one. Well, well, well exactly. And then um, they they came up with this rescue plot, you know, which in in theory, you know, I mean, it's it's, it's a for it. Well, well, I'll, well, I'll say this for it: it's got more of a streamlined idea than the second. Yeah. one. you know, it's not it's not baggy like that. It's it's half an hour shorter for a start. I mean, I'll give it its due. 
it, mm. it gets in and gets out you know quickly problem is like Luke's like you say Luke it, it doesn't end properly no. <laughs> it, it would have been it had been an hour and 45 minutes if it had an act 3 yeah, actually yeah if it had an act 3 you're absolutely right it just ends and it's it, it, it's it, born like a sea syndrome is what I call that yeah definitely definitely it's that similar kind of thing oh is that it and you wonder what the point was I mean all the yeah. way through this I was thinking well it feels like if they made a Jurassic Park TV series this would be a two parter or maybe even just a random single episode. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, oh. come back next week. Come back next week for more yeah. Dino rampaging fun. Right, and it's just like, and it, it has none of the satire or the subtext or the. No, it was you know darker than the first two. It, it seems it seems like people have just sort of cooked it up in a sort of meth lab for Dino plots, where they've just thought, what worked in the first one, what worked in the second one, let's mush it together and create a new story. Yeah. And, and, you know, creating something new like that might not always work. But um, it, it doesn't matter because it's, it strips away the humanity behind it, in my view. But yeah. in the first one, the second one, they have much. But it, it just sort of went, dinosaurs, yay. Well, what it's trying to do is... And they didn't have a T-Rex <laughs> Well, yeah, no, no T-Rex. But what it's trying to do is, is keep that theme of family going. You know, that, that's yeah. something they've tried to do throughout the whole mm. of the Jurassic Park. And it's, yeah. very, it's very Spielberg. I mean, Joe Johnson... Oh, yeah. oh. Joe Johnson is basically, you know, a Spielberg wannabe, effectively. And he's a good director, and he's, he's an underrated director, actually. But he's, he's, he's very much in the mould of Spielberg. Yeah, and he's very pulp. And it's that kind of, you know, he's, they keep that idea about the family. But the problem is, it's it's just... It, it, the other the other films have this underlying idea of subtext in terms of, you know... It was the villains in the in the all the other Jurassic Park films, and I include Jurassic World in this, are not the dinosaurs. The villains are the stupid humans, mm. right? Around it. Now there's none of those. You could argue that the parents are a bit stupid, but they're not bad guys. You know, the bad guy here is the Stegosaurus, I think it is, or the you know, whatever it is, the Spinosaurus. Yeah. And the, the dinosaurs aren't supposed to be the villains. The dinosaurs are just the monsters who you know, the well, heavies just yeah, doing I mean, what argue, they do. <laughs> yeah, you could argue that the, the Indominus Rex is a villain, obviously, but it, it, there's a difference. You know, it, 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 they're just doing what they're doing. They're, they're just carnivores that are that eating things. Anything. But in this, it's set up that that is the baddie. You know, and it's like, well, you're missing the point of the whole thing. Exactly. This just doesn't have a point to it. The other weird thing is, this is actually less a Jurassic Park film and closer to Arthur Conan Doyle's for Lost World, as in the novel. Um, yeah, and then just pe- people turn up, yeah. People turn up to a place where there's dinosaurs, which is what it is, rather than the whole you know creation and the whole aspect yeah. of, of mass scientists and stuff, which is what Jurassic Park is. In, I mean, you know, I think playing golf. I think, I think this is a better film than The Lost World, but I think the Lost see, World I, I can't, just, I can't say that. I can't say that. Only just, and I think that you know, only fragment, only the fragment. I think because it's streamlined, because it actually Sam Neill's a better leading man. Sam Neill is a much better leading man. As much as I love Jeff Goldblum. I love Jeff Goldblum and he's my favourite actor in the entire Jurassic Park franchise, but Sam Neill's a better leading man. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that helps to have him back. And it's, you know, so I, I will give it to you that it's slightly better, but what at least The Lost World had a standout sequence and had the mm. undercurrent of, of commentary to it again. <clears throat> I think Jurassic Park 3 is, is a little bit of a misstep, um, really. In yeah. Mm. I think and the other thing that's never mentioned, this... The three pteranodons that fly away at the end, like, did they not find civilization? Did they just happen to find another abandoned island and live there happily ever after? <laughs> well, I was thinking about that because aren't they deadly? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, we see that. Well, we've seen it in the fourth one. With yeah. the assistant, right? You can't just be left just to flap around aimlessly. <laughs> I, I was hoping it'd be mentioned <laughs> in the fourth one, but I mean, no. the I'm glad they ignored it. But <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it, one. I think Jurassic World kind of just decides that it's going to be the second sequel, really. Yeah. I mean, it, it really does sidestep the last these two films, and probably for the good, for the better. Really. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. was saying that doesn't exist in this continuity now. I think, well, yeah, I think it kind of, in a way, it doesn't. I think really, yeah, I think Jurassic Park It was, was Iowa Sauna, wasn't it? For me, it was Iowa Sauna. Yeah, it was Iowa new... Sauna. Yeah, yeah it was the same in the second. Yeah. Just because you can't afford to build the sets again, so let's stick it's... it on the island of the old weather this time. It's the whole thing they're doing with um, Alien 5, isn't it? That's like a follow-on from Aliens. Yeah. Let's, let's just disregard the ones that people don't like. And we'll follow up whatever one lies. I think as well, the one thing I must mention as well is how bad Taylor Leone's acting is in the. In oh film. God! And there's, there's that one scene yes. where she sees the skeleton of of the of the guy, and her. I mean, her reaction. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it is hilarious. The, the overacting she does is. It, it, no wonder she got nominated for a Golden Raspberry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably for that moment alone. It was just, it'd, be, it'd been better if she'd done a Valsby at that point. Yes, <laughs> I think it would have been. It's just, oh my god! You know, let's just pretend Jurassic Park three and the Lost World don't mm. exist. Moving on, I'm going to introduce a new section now, which I'm going to do in recurring um, fashion whenever I'm hosting the podcast, which won't be too often. Don't worry. Uh, and it's going to be called um, Director's Corner, and the idea is that. Um, it focuses on the filmography and discusses um, a, a specific director. Um, and the idea will be that it will link to pretty much whatever we're, we're talking about, ideally. So where better to start than the man himself, Steven Spielberg? So I'm just going to talk a little bit, or we're all going to talk a little bit about Steven Spielberg and about his career. Um, Steven Spielberg's a, an interesting director, really, because I think that when it was the, the so-called American New Wave... Mm. Um, which had, you know, the Francis Ford Coppola's, your Martin Scorsese's, you know, your George Lucas's, you know, your, your Spielberg's. I think they're all huge names, but I think Spielberg is so synonymous with 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 filmmaking of the last 30, 40 years. Mm. I think he's just, he's one of those people that you don't have to know anything about movies to know who he is. If somebody says Steven Spielberg, everyone will know that he directed probably Jurassic Park or Jaws or... You know Schindler's List, or one of the films that, or, or Indiana Jones, they'll know more than likely who he is. And I think to actually sort of get to that point, you have to be somebody who's made such a massive impact on popular culture. And I think, in I think, really, if you look when you if you look back at the history of 20th century cinema, and I think if you track that, I think even even more than Hitchcock, I think Spielberg will be the one who made the most kind of cinematic impact on pop culture. Summer blockbuster. He invented yeah. the summer blockbuster. Well, he did. I mean, you know, if you go right back to the very beginning, he, you know, he started you know, quite you know, low, low scale. He started more on television, you know, and he, he was doing things like, yeah, you know, different uh, shows like Night Gallery and, uh, and just random shows like that. But it was, it was the first, the first thing he did for me, actually, is my favourite Spielberg and it's really? I, I, I know it's not his best but I think it's up there I think it's in his top three or four it's Duel which uh, it, Duel is Duel is the film that nobody remembers you know everyone remembers Jaws as the first big Spielberg film and it was 
and it was the film that put him on the map and put blockbusters on the map but Duel for me is a marvellous phenomenal piece of work it was made for television based on a, a Richard Matheson story but it was it, it's just about a truck that a truck with a driver you never see that chases a businessman through the desert and tries to kill him and it is 90 minutes of utter utter terror and tension and it, it's the and one of the best directed things I've ever seen in my life and it's it was like Jurassic Park even before Jurassic Park actually when I was really young when I was about six or seven I remember watching it on television and I became obsessed with that film before I knew who Spielberg was before I watched a lot of other films I just was I couldn't start watching that and it used to scare me to death and even now it, it chills me you know it's like a long episode of Twilight Zone isn't it yeah it really is it's, it's like it, it, it is it's all like an Outer Limits or something it's just mm. It's, it's a terrifying film it, because it, it, the tension is turned up to 11 and, and that's something that he was you know he's always been very good at you know when he gets to Jaws and that's a very different kind of film that's much more horror and horror based in many, in many ways but that was the first film that really just put the template out there for what would be an event film and if anything I think Spielberg more than Lucas actually invented that kind of event movie yeah, because placing in this summer as well because b- before Jaws, the summer was like a dead end, right? What we term like January, February now, that was the summer. It's like you just chuck any old film in the summer, and you know, no, no one will go because everyone's out outside. And then Jaws appears, boom, changed the landscape. Definitely, you know, in, in you know, it led then to you know films like you know Richard Donner with Superman and. Um, mm. And obviously, then Star Wars, mm. um, which and you know you can't take anything away from the fact that George Lucas created the biggest, you know, the biggest ever franchise and the biggest blockbuster. Don't get me wrong, but I know that. But in terms of impact, it, 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 in in terms of actual cinema, and, and not just like impacting pop culture, but quality as well, and, and the amount of different iconic things that was created. I don't think you can touch Spielberg in terms of that. Certainly not in that period. Maybe from like 1975 to about 1995 that mm-hmm. period when he was probably at his peak and when he was probably oh no doubt no oh, doubt it was just hit 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 it wasn't was, it you know it was you know after after you know Jaws it was Close Encounter the Third Kind well and then you know it was uh, and then it was Raiders of the Lost Ark there were there were there, are, there have been the odd missteps like 1941 which was, yeah. was a, 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 an admirable failure let's put it that way you know, and things things like that. But you know, th- then when he did Raiders and then ET as well. I mean, ET, my God! I mean, that may be the most sort of biggest pop culture film of the eighties. ET, or it, one of them, anyway. Everybody knows I mean, what ET is. That's that's the most Spielberg Spielberg film of, of Spielberg done, isn't it? That he's got everything Spielberg in one in one package. Yeah, family and 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 you know, adventure and you know, sort of poignancy and all the sort of things he brings to every film. He just squished it all together into into a, a weird old squash head alien. Yeah, <laughs> and it worked. And he spent he spent a lot of time doing those kind of films and then when he did The Colour Purple in 1985 it showed the other flip side that he then, he then has developed and then he's pretty much ever since gone from one to the other where he went from mm. popcorn really family to serious. friendly popcorn. Yeah, like you say, where it's, you know... He went from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom to the Colour Purple. I mean, that you can't get more, you know, more of a contract <laughs> in terms of films. Well, 1993, as we mentioned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, exactly. 
um, <laughs> with Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. It's, it's that whole thing. So, you know, you've got somebody who is flipping between very weighty, dramatic, meaty material and then who's actually doing stuff that's, that's really popcorn and, and, you know, exciting and, and adventure and everything like that. And it's, you know, it, it, that's a trend that carries on. You know, when you get to things like Hook, which was another film I was obsessed with. I mean, this is why Spielberg isn't my favourite director now. My favourite director is Stanley Kubrick. I think most people would 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 love at least one Spielberg film, if not more. Oh, uh, yeah. I'd be stunned if somebody hated everything Spielberg well, has done. One side of the spectrum or the other. Right, because exactly, you may hate all his popcorn stuff, but I don't think anyone with a straight face could turn around and say Schindler's List is a bad film. I mean, you'd, you'd have to be an idiot, quite <laughs> frankly. Right? It's, it's, it's just it's just not a bad film. It is, it is phenomenal. So then you've got you know you've got that. That we, and then you've got you know flipping from like you say Jurassic Park to Amistad and then back again to you know things like and then to Saving Private Ryan. I mean, think of this. I mean, think of the filmography. Every almost everything he's ever done has is a film that most people have seen or most people have talked about or know about or has has hit some kind of nerve in pop culture and has done so many different genres that have covered things to do with with racism, with you know the Holocaust, with you know the slave trade. You know, to things like you know the, the Second World War. I mean, the whole Normandy landings thing that oh. did, which was just incredible. You know, I I, just... I hold up the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan is the best war depiction of all time. I mean, the opening twenty minutes of that, the actual Normandy landing, the best depiction of war ever it's by by an absolute mile. It's stunning. It's stunning. You know, it's just he he really does often set the bar and and everything like that. He. He's one of those directors who will will happily just change. In, he's gone into all kinds of genres as well. You know, the, he had the spell in the early two thousands where he did things like AI and Minority Report, which I don't think were particularly great films. And I think he's he's not as comfortable in that kind of sci-fi, too sci-fi area than. See, I have a soft spot for Minority Report. I think that's, that's a very underrated little film. That. I wasn't a big fan of that one, but mm. I can see why it's, mm. you know, it's certainly, I think I'm in a minority. Most people really like that minority. You are a minority. I'm in a minority. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even intend that joke. And, but then, you know, it, I think really from the 2000s, I, I think he's become a little bit more hit and miss to an extent. I think He's, he's focusing you know, more on being a producer to some extent these days, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he isn't directing quite as much or, or he's quite as many big films as he used to. No, not quite. You know, he didn't do as many in the two thousands. Um, one he did do, which I think is very underrated, was the Terminal. Um, with Tom, with Tom was Hanks. that Spielberg? That was Spielberg. I never realised that was Spielberg. Yeah, and I, it got mixed reviews, but I I really like that film. I think it's a very sweet movie, and I think it's very un Spielberg to a way, but also you can see, yeah, I can see yeah, it. I can see it. There's that, yeah. Um, you know, and then things like Munich, which I thought Munich was was very good. You know, not one of his greatest biopic kind of things. You know, serious films, but it was very good. But then it's it's interesting. Lately, he like you say, he hasn't done that much. I think his his last great film was probably um, Lincoln. In fact, I think that might have been his last film actually that he, that came out. Where and Lincoln was was very good. Uh, so it's it's been interesting how you know his next film is now Bridge of Spies, which is another Tom Hanks um, you know Cold War kind of threat. So it's that will be interesting to see. It's it's like written by the Coen brothers as well, so that could be wonderful. Um, but he's one of these directors who I think has has really sort of 
put that kind of stamp on cinema from roughly the 70s I think more than any other like you say he's produced all kinds of things you know if you, if you look back at a lot of the movies in the last 30 years all the re- a lot of the well known ones even if he hasn't directed them he's probably been involved in them Poltergeist Gremlins there have been a lot you know of things TV series that he's been involved with and you know all kinds of all kinds of things odd, like that odd things he was a producer in he was a producer like Men in Black Stuff like that. Is that Austin Powers? Right, Men in Black, Austin Powers, Transformers, Transformers. Yeah, you know, and all these kind of things that they might all not be particularly ah. great, but they they have his name on them. All these things that people have responded to or gone to see or have become massive hits through DreamWorks. He's you know, mm. and Industrial Light and Magic and all these things. He's become that guy. Once you got into the era of like you know your Godfathers and, and things like that, and then Jaws and then Star Wars, those that, that was the point really where movies became more than more than just films. They became lifestyles for people. They became they became interest points. They became obsessions really. Before then, they the, the, that wasn't quite how it was. They were they were pieces of art or they were they were things people would go and see for escapism. It was that point where people started to live their lives by things like Star Wars or Indiana Jones or, you know, and, and it's, it's through people like Spielberg who, who gave birth to that kind of, you know, devotion and immersion in cinema. And I, I, when, I look, when I think about all the films I love and all the films that I, I grew up loving and all the childhood films, he is pretty much the one director who's done most of them when I think about it. So, I think he's a genius in many ways. Yeah, and I think if it, I think his contribution to cinema has been astronomical. I think without him, it would be, it would have been a lot less. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. And speaking of him, he's uh, he's an executive producer in uh, in the big one, the one we're here to mm. talk about, Jurassic World. We have learned more in the past decade from genetics than a century of digging up bones. A whole new frontier has opened up. We have our first genetically modified hybrid. We just went and made a new dinosaur? Probably not a good idea. Almost 40 feet high. Really think she climbed out? Depends. On what? What kind of dinosaur they cooked up in that lab? Obviously, the new, the new Jurassic Park film, not a reboot, not a remake, but let's just say, sort of a sequel, I suppose, to the first film. Like, like we said before, it kind of just skips, skips out the last two, and this is set back on Isla Nublar, the first um, island from the first film, and uh, this is basically John Hammond's vision of Jurassic Park has become a reality it's now Jurassic World it's this glossy super duper theme park that has been created with tons of dinosaurs with 2,000 people a day visiting it's got attractions it's got stores it's got rides it's, it's the whole the whole shebang the whole thing that people have conveniently forgotten 20 years people were eating to death and they built <laughs> and they built a dinosaur you know Disneyland basically and you know Shocker! Inevitably, a dinosaur gets loose and problems happen. <laughs> Shocker! Really? I know. Um, oh, in this case, that's the, a shame. The Indominus Rex, which is a genetically modified dinosaur, which uh, has been created because people need bigger attractions. They're not happy with T Rexes. They're not happy with big giant 
dinosaur fish things that leap out and eat sharks. I do know the name of that one. That's a Mosasaur. 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 They're not happy with Mosasaurs. Uh, eating jaws. Or whatever. E- yeah, eating jaws. <laughs> they want more. They want... And unfortunately, the scientists breed, basically, a nutcase of a dinosaur that decides, fuck this, I'm not going to be kept in captivity, I'm going to go out there and <laughs> kill everybody. Um, and starts killing for sport, not survival. So, gentlemen, what hmm. do we think of the new one? I like what it mentioned in the title. I like the world they built. Oh, yes. Um, I think the world was brilliant, and um, the dinosaurs were great, but the characters <laughs> were not so great. Um, they really let down by the characters. There wasn't anyone that kind of had the charisma of Malcolm or, I don't know, there was just, there was just lots missing. I think the ten years it's taken to sort the plot out has just kind of left the characters at the bottom of the pile. And because obviously there's been so many writers involved and so many drafts and whatnot. It, it really does show that I didn't really care about any of them that died. The dinosaurs had better characters than me. Yeah. I mean, it's... It, very, like Blue, Blue had much more characterization. Uh, yeah, they had more development mm. than pretty but, much all of the characters. I, it, all of the humans been, in the film. It's, it's odd that the names that spring to mind from the film are, you know, apart from the lead, which is Chris Pratt, which is Owen Grady, the character names that spring to mind are Indominus Rex, Rexy, and Blue. I mean, and they're dinosaurs. <laughs> they've, they've got fully... I mean, in case of in respect, it's a complete insane I mean, that's, that's actually a, a sort of a... Not a character arc as such, but it's, it goes off a its own path, and, and Blue has a character arc. You, you, suddenly you think, a Velociraptor has a character arc, and the humans don't. What's going on here? But, um, you see... I have to agree with you on a lot of your points. I think I, I love the setup of the actual Disney World, Jurassic, Jurassic World itself, as a sort of Disney World meets zoo with dinosaurs in it. All that was fascinating to me. I actually wanted to spend longer just wandering around it. Mm. Yeah. I actually, is it really wrong that I would still go to that park? I would have wanted, <laughs> if that park was actually open, I would go. Even even You're now. Even now, I would go. Because it looks so cool. At least, at least I, mean, I, I like zoos and theme parks and that sort of commercialised stuff. It did look... It did. I it looked great. It did look really good. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I mean, that's a bit... Uh, it's a shame because I knew it was, obviously it was all going to go to hell in a handcart. Yeah. But I was a bit disappointed. Like, it was a little dinosaur petting zoo and I thought, oh, that's cute. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know wrong. how um, you guys saw it, but I saw it at IMAX 3D. Mm-hmm. The 3D didn't add anything at all you know the only reason I watched when 3D does it? when does it if it's not the, only, James the only reason I watched 3D uh, was because that was the only way it was shown at IMAX mm. but on IMAX it was absolutely stunning obviously everything's bigger and brighter mm. but it, I think it really did it worked really good in IMAX but the 3D was naff well, I, must, I must quickly just rant about that slightly because for some reason now well there's no IMAX 2D Oh, well, I was going to say, for some reason, we know why. Because no one's going to watch just 3D anymore, right? People yeah. are going to watch IMAX and, and 2D, but nobody wants 3D. So what they're doing is they're bolting 3D onto IMAX, so we don't have a choice. So the only way to watch IMAX is to watch it in fucking 3D, which it's, is it's, shit. It's and worth it not... for the IMAX. It's worth it for the IMAX. No, the IMAX experience is huge, when, and I love I, the IMAX. But... When I went to see Age of Ultron in IMAX mm. 3D, I mm. genuinely think I didn't enjoy that film as much because... 
I was watching it in 3D. The IMAX, the IMAX was fine, right? Mm-hmm. It's because every it, that film is so bloated with action. I, my eyes were just blurred by the end of it because there was just too much going on. Did, did you also see Jurassic World in the same Chris Farris? If anything, even more. Well, exactly, I didn't. I chose to ah, watch it just in 2D. Fair enough. I was, was going to say because... I refuse to, to indulge this IMAX 3D bollocks that they're now foisting on us. I refuse. I, I simply refuse. There's no There's a line in the sand. There is a line in the sand. I'm drawing this. And it is, a, it is around Birmingham. It is around Birmingham. I've moated. I've given it. It's a line of a moat. I've sectioned Birmingham off. It, you know, I of course. I refuse People have been doing that for ages. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's just... Yeah, I'm not surprised, Luke. I'm not surprised that that's the reaction you had. Yeah. You see, I, I was IMAX, so I'm willing to accept... 3D in that sense for the IMAX. The IMAX gives it the scale I wanted, but Moses saw in particular, and that you know, sh- you know, makes its entrance. Um, that that just blew me away. Just the size and scale of it. I think with Jurassic World, the, 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 thing, mm. the issue I had with this film, very similar lines to both of you, really, mm. especially especially Luke. Mm. I think it was, I think it was entertaining. Mm. I think it was fun. I, I can't I, I won't lie I did enjoy myself there was plenty of incident plenty of action um, Chris Pratt was great fun this was he, his Indiana Jones in, audition and he passed with flying colours even even um, though he doesn't he's playing a very stock character but he just has enough inbuilt charisma yeah. to make it work charisma yeah, we weren't in the script that wasn't even exactly, the script yeah. I'm guessing <laughs> that's just him it's just him right we knew that from Star Lord Guardians obviously is a a proper written film. This the script for this doesn't exist. The this script is a Theon film. Yeah, the, the the script is rubbish. It's ridiculous. The the the, the gender politics are very 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 backward as well. Yeah, um, you know to say the least. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, who to be honest, I don't think is a particularly good actress anyway. Um, she she her character is just ridiculous. You know she's. <laughs> She's supposed to be this strong, important female in a position of power, but she very quickly becomes... I think I described this film as if they remade Romancing the Stone with Jeremy Clarkson, right? It's got the whole... It's, it's, it's basically just this really retrograde, quite sexist idea that, that this strong woman who, you know... It, it, Kathleen Turner could have played this part 25 years ago, right? It's that, it's that kind of just... She starts off and she's supposed to be powerful and in charge, but she, she's a bit brittle and a bit icy. She can't connect with her family and her nephews. Um, but, oh, no, she, the moment she sees Chris Pratt and his big arms, she's all, oh, oh, Chris, oh, let's let in the middle of, of my nephews almost being eaten by a fucking dinosaur. Let's have a flirt. Let's have a kiss. Let's talk about things. This is the other thing, and I talked to my housemates about this earlier. There is... At no point do any of these people react in the way that you would if a rampaging psychopathic dinosaur hybrid was ra- was was about to eat tw- two thousand people. You wouldn't just suddenly start having a flirt. You wouldn't just suddenly sort of forget that there's a couple of kids on the loose. You, it's just it's just so stupid. This film it, it beggars belief. It, it's fun, but it is the most dumb film I think I've watched in some time. I think one of the big things that highlights that to me obviously besides the Bryce Dallas Howard thing was when they're in the gyrospheres and that they are able to go off road into the jungle like there's no way that attraction would be controlled by the people in the sphere no it's, it's just it's just it's, it's, it's more unbelievable than them bringing dinosaurs back to life is Jimmy Fallon in a Jurassic Park yeah. film 
that's the point. The irony of this is, and this is the big irony of this film, this film has spent 15 years, countless drafts, loads of scripts, Spielberg never been quite happy with, with what it was, and then Colin Trevorrow comes in, who did Safety Not Guaranteed, and it was, you know, that was a nice little indie kind of mm. slightly quirky film. Not bad, not brilliant, but not bad. A director with potential comes in, decides to rewrite it, happens upon the fact that the, the very clever idea, in fact, and it's bizarre that nobody got to this quicker. It's a brilliant idea. To actually make the park, which is what originally the, the first film was leading up to, to actually go to that point it makes a world of sense. It's the it's the obvious story for Jurassic Park to go. It's a, it's a brilliant conceit, isn't it? It's that, a great conceit. That, 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 sells, that sells the film immediately. This the park is open as, well. as a tagline. The park yeah. is open. This whole idea that, we're, and the quite right idea, that we've reached this point of consumer excess that all we want is more, bigger, more. You see it in you see it in theme parks. I mean, look at the whole Smiler thing in Milton Towers, mm. right? You see it with all this right now. You see it with movies where it's bigger, more, franchises, massiveness, tons of films, you know, galactic-wide madness. You see it all the time. It makes complete sense that you would, you would, some idiot would open a fucking park like this, right? <laughs> the only problem is this film, it's like it, it's eaten itself because it, it's exactly the kind of corporate cash-in that this film is trying to satirise. I mean, uh, uh, did you notice the product placement? Yeah. It's, I don't think you can uh, help but... I was it's, reading it's, about it's that. Um, Is it intentional? Where it wasn't the studio... It wasn't the studio's idea for all the product placements. It was Trevorrow to put it in because that's what the park would be like if it was a real park. Right, yeah. Now, I, I thought... That. So... I, I don't think the excess of money pouring in as well wouldn't have harmed matters. But <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I understand that, but I think that the whole point of this film is that it's trying to satirise something that it's yeah. become itself. <laughs> and now the fact it's made five hundred million in its first opening weekend yeah. actually is I've just read that. To, yeah, it's ridiculous to break all records. Yeah, I, I'm not even remotely surprised. You know, I'm actually quite glad because I like the franchise. Right, I've got nothing against this film. I think it's fun. <laughs> I think it's harmless. I think the action's good. I think it's fairly it's well enjoyable. put together. It's, it's enjoyable. There was a moment. I see it again as well. Reminded me. There was a moment that reminded me of the 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 for a moment, for a fleeting moment of the awe of the first film, where the kids run into the hotel room. You've got the theme playing, and they open the the, the shutters, and you see the park in all yeah. its glory. That was one moment where I thought, okay, that reminds me a little bit of that kind of wow moment from the first film not as good but it reminded me of that but then it just it's so stupid I mean it, the, the, I mean, the whole thing of, of uh, you know the very idea of, of Chris Pratt being able to get raptors to run <laughs> with him on a bike and then not kill him is just I, lunacy it, I still prefer that to the strange idea Vincent D'Onofrio has of from between weapons it's like yeah what's yeah. he's an idiot but even he, he has real limit who would realistically deploy dinosaurs as weapons I mean, of war <laughs> if you thought there were plot holes in, in the last two films they've got nothing on this I mean the, the, you could drive you could drive a T-Rex through yeah. the plot holes in this film mm. I but what's it what's it what Makes up for is it? Does it with such gusto and with and with such bravura that you sort of think, yeah, technically this falls apart on pretty much any level, but you're with it. You're with it yeah. just because it's it's a hell of a ride. You are. I would agree. It is a ride. It's, but I don't think it's, it's not anyone who proves it's better than the first one. I, uh, uh, yeah. No. I, no, I, no, I, no. I, 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 I have to. Yeah. 
I've shamed. Have a long chat with you afterwards. Remonstrate <laughs> with them. It, it, yeah. It's rubbish. It, that, the very idea of that is rubbish. It's, of course, it isn't. But it's uh, but it's better than the, the first. Se- the, sec- the second best film, comfortably yeah. the second best Jurassic World, best, Jurassic Park film. film. But if it, but, and this there will be a sequel. I mean, without mm. hes- without shadow. Jurassic World. Like, Jurassic World. Yeah. Dinosaurs on the moon. Um, what, <laughs> That's it right there. Dinosaurs <laughs> on the moon. I Copyright would, I would, me. I would venture that, the, that, that any next film will go back to the mainland now and try and do something. Oh like no! As long as it isn't like the end of Lost World. But don't well, go yeah. to San Diego. No, no yeah, because Pete hates San Diego. Let's not go there. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that I think it's it's a load of old tosh, but it was an enjoyable load of old tosh. Mm. Um, I'd rather, I'd rather think, this Smash Records than Transformers. Yes, oh, it's me too, um, by far. That's it then. We're at the end of uh, the dinosaur. Um, be- Come on, that was good. Come on. No, it's right. better than the last two. It is better. It's getting better, you see. So yeah, we're at the end of the uh, of our Jurassic special. Uh, thank you for listening. This just joy- this just leaves me to thank uh, my guests and ask them if they would like to uh, shill their their twitters or anything they've got on. Um, so uh, Luke, um, where can we find you? Um, well, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Facebook, but I don't really use it. Uh, I will use this time, though, to plug a charity that I've been involved with recently called Mummy's Star, oh, which is the only charity that uh, focuses on cancer during and post-pregnancy, um, which you never hear about. And, you know, cancer's bad enough as it mm. is, but I just think you, you get told that you're going to be a parent, and then six months later, you told oh actually you've got cancer as well oh. um, I just think it's a horrible horrible thing and for it to be only I'd, I'd never even thought about it until I got involved with this charity yeah. um, I just think it's they, they do really good work um, but yeah uh, they're called Mummy's Star and um, yeah everyone should uh, go donate lots and lots of money to them are they on Twitter? Um, they are it's um, at Mummy's Star M-U-M-M-Y-S-S-T-A-R mm. oh thank you for thank you for plugging that I'll, uh, I'll, t- I'll tweet a link to hey, you guys hey, yeah please do very very worthy cause yeah um, yeah that, that's that's lovely I hope uh, people donate some some stuff to those guys yeah Pete uh, yes I feel incredibly selfish now <laughs> well why <laughs> break the habit of lifetime exactly exactly Um Yes, uh, you can you can find me on, on Twitter if you want it, PD Gas, or you can, you can try and find me on Facebook, but I probably won't add you unless I like you. Uh, <laughs> Win over people, Pete. There you go. Oh yes, there you go. Also, I uh, host a, a podcast. Well, I call it a podcast. It's more of a vidcast, really, on YouTube called The Word of Nerd Show. Um, basically, it's me and a few other people, including Black Horse Cinema's Dan Taylor as a regular. Um, we get together every Friday night and talk geeky, nerdy news and stuff and play games and generally go mad. Um, if, you, if you like a bit of a, you know, nerdy nerd out with lots of laughs, then, you know, it's, it might be worth a pop over to YouTube and we are, just just look for the Word of Nerd Show on YouTube and on Twitter. Lovely. Thank you very much. And um, also donate to Luke's charity. Yes, I would <laughs> second that. Um, Pete now has redeemed himself for being such a selfish bastard by saying that, so well done. I, <laughs> I, uh, as ever, you can find me at Black Hole Writer on Twitter and uh, Black Hole Cinema on, uh, on Twitter and, of course, in Facebook, where we post our new episodes. Uh, yeah, look us up. So thanks, guys. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you.
and um, we'll be back uh, next week for a, a standard episode where Dan Taylor will be back hosting um, for the first time in a while um, and we'll be reviewing the, viewing the latest movies so uh, from us um, we're going to stomp our way to and uh, oh, I'm not even going to try and do dark weapons because I've forgotten <laughs> so, I'm going to say bye for the better thanks guys a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.